Hello, friends. We just arrived home yesterday after a strenuous week-long vacation in Denmark, which was quite wonderful. I posted last week's episode from there, and I prepared this week's episode except for the narration while we were on the road. Listen, if any of you have not seen the footage of Joni Mitchell performing at the Newport Folk Festival, you just gotta look it up. Oh my god, she is the greatest. And that's all I have to say on the matter. Unfortunately, there are no new people to welcome as Patreon supporters this week. But let me just do the shtick. If you want to become a supporter, please go to patreon.com countermelody. And you too can pledge your support from anywhere from $2 a month on up to $25 a year on up. With that pledge of support, you will gain access to all of the bonus material that is already posted, and I'll just say there are more fun things being planned for the coming season. Today, I have part two of my Barely Sang at the Met miniseries. I was hearing some scuttlebutt from people in the know that some of the people that I featured last week in part one of this mini-series were not terribly well-beloved in their appearances at the Met and elsewhere. And it used to be, and I think still is very much true, that if you're not a good colleague, you may not get asked back. There may or may not be some singers this week of whom that is also true. But I ain't gonna tell tales out of school. So if you think that applies, you'll simply have to do further research, because I don't tell stories like that. Well, sometimes, but not on the podcast. (laughs) Okay, that's it. Please take it away, Claudia. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. As always, I am your host, Daniel Gundlach. No preaching here, no lecturing, well, maybe just a tiny bit of each, but the primary spotlight will always be on the singers that enrich and enhance our lives, no matter what is going on in the world around us. Thanks for joining me. This week's episode. Josephine Vesey was a British mezzo-soprano who died in February at the age of 91. She did not do much performing at the Met. As with Gundula Janowitz, her sole performances there were associated with Herbert von Karajan's Ring, the first two parts of which were produced in the 1968-69 season. She sang six performances of Fricka there in Das Rheingold, and two when she reappears in Die Valkyrie, on the warpath, I might add. This does not mean that Visi did not have an enormously distinguished career, particularly but not exclusively at Covent Garden. For instance, 
at Orange on a magical night in July 1974. She appeared as Adalgisa to the Norma of Montserrat Caballé, who gave what I consider to be the greatest performance of her life that night. And her brilliance really touched her co-star as well. We are going to hear just a very brief excerpt from the second of the Norma Adalgisa duets. This is Josephine Vizi and Montserrat Caballé singing Mira o Norma. There's another British mezzo, Anne Howells, who also died this year, on the 18th of May, a few short months ago. A magnificent Mozart singer who also sang the heck out of contemporary music, Baroque music, and also was a memorable Melisande. She sang in two different productions at the Met for a total of 14 performances. 
She doesn't fit the criteria of 10 performances or less at the Met, but this is a belated memorial tribute because she only sang six Dorabellas in 1975 and eight Niklauses in Conte Toffman in 1982. I think she definitely was underused by that company. Let's listen to an excerpt from her Dorabella. This is a live recording from the Teatro La Fenice in Venice in 1983. Peter Mark conducts, and this is the shall see today, there were a lot of very celebrated British singers who did not really get their due at the Metropolitan Opera. One of those is the bass baritone Stafford Dean, who sang only seven performances of Figaro in the winter months of 1976. Here he is as Leporello in a 1975 recording with Scottish opera of excerpts from Don Giovanni. We are going to hear a portion of the catalog aria, Madamina. Alexander Gibson leads the Scottish Chamber Orchestra. Thank you. 
Mozart selections for you right now, sung by two very different kinds of tenors. One, Leopold Simonot, was heard this past January when I presented a program of Canadian singers singing art song. Simonot was one of the great Mozart tenors of the 1950s and 60s. In spite of this, he only sang four performances at the Met of Don Ottavio in Don Giovanni in the fall, in the fall of 1963. He was renowned for his honeyed tone and his very elegant phrasing. There was another Mozart tenor of that era, Anton Dermota, who never sang at the Met. These singers and so many of the other great Mozart singers of the 50s had careers that were primarily centered in Europe. Here is Simonot singing an excerpt from Ferrando's aria from Così fan tutte, Un'aura morosa. The recording was issued in 1956 in honor of the bicentennial of Mozart's birth. Bernhard Palmgartner conducts the Wiener Symphonica.
another tenor to present to you who was a completely different weight of singer, the Romanian tenor Ludovic Spies, who sang a total of five performances at the Met in the year 1971. His debut was as Manrico in Trovatore, and he sang one further performance of that, as well as one of Florestan and two of Cagno in Pagliacci. But I do have a recording of him singing Mozart, and this is sort of an interesting thing to consider. Depending on where an opera is being produced, the weight of voice that's considered appropriate for a given part can be quite different. For instance, here in Germany, one tends to hear heavier-voiced tenors singing the role of Tamino, whereas one hears pure lyrics elsewhere in the world. This is why, for instance, we have a recording conducted by Thomas Beecham of Zauberflöte with the Danish heldentenor Helge Roswenge as Tamino, or why in, I think it was the 70s or early 80s, there was a recording of Zauberflöte with Peter Hoffmann, a Jugendlich heldentenor, singing Tamino. And so Spies really falls into that category I'm planning on expanding my series of singers, quote, behind the Iron Curtain in the next season of Counter Melody. And I've been collecting wonderful recordings of Romanian singers, Polish singers, Czech singers, Bulgarian singers, Hungarian singers, and we'll be doing some episodes on those next season. But here's a little Vorspeise, a foretaste, with Ludovic Spies singing an excerpt from Dies Bildnis ist bezaubernd schön, which is, of course, Tamino's big aria from the first act of Zauberflöte. Spies is not a refined singer, I would say. He's somebody who relied a lot on vocal weight, and in a way, he sort of overshot his vocal wad and had a relatively short career. But I think he does manage a few niceties here in his recording of Tamino's aria, which was part of an operatic recital album released in 1969. Oh, my God. 
We've already heard one Canadian tenor, Leopold Simoneau. Now I have another one for you. The voice you are about to hear belongs to Richard Verreau, or Richard Verreau, who lived from 1926 to 2005. I knew his name because he appears on the Igor Markevich recording from, I believe it's 1962, of Berlioz's Damnation of Faust. But I had never heard his voice until after I started the podcast. I featured him on my very first Christmas episode, and I am still madly in love with this voice. It's one of the most beautiful tenor voices that I've heard, and he was very highly regarded indeed in his native Canada. But at the Met, he sang only five performances between 1963 and 65. His debut was as Faust, then he did two performances of Des Grieux in Manon, and then an appearance on a concert that was entitled God Help Us. The Mysterious East. Oh dear, how tastes change and how mores change. On this concert, he sang excerpts from Pearl Fisher's Lacme, Turandot, and Madame Butterfly. And I'm sure he was magnificent, but those were his final performances at the Met. He did do a fair amount of recording for Canadian RCA, and I have an excerpt from an operatic recital that was made in 1960. A portion of Des Grieux's aria from Massenet's Manon, Affuyer douce image, and the distinguished Canadian conductor Wilfred Pelletier, who played such an important role at the Met, and was married, in fact, to Met soprano Rose Bampton. He's the conductor. Now, when we enter the 
Wagnerian repertoire, especially in the 1960s and 70s, we encounter a lot of tenors in particular who sang very few performances at the Met. Debuts, sometimes followed by a few additional performances. Sometimes the debuts were not successful. Who knows? I mean, sometimes these singers did not relish performing at the Met. I don't know what the story is with this next tenor, the Finnish singer Pekka Nuotio, who lived from 1929 to 1989. He sang a total of eight performances of two Wagnerian roles at the Met in 1966 and 1967, six as Tannhäuser and two as Tristan. He left no commercial recordings, although the Andine record label did issue some live performances that he gave. While he's a little uneven in some of them, I think that as Tristan, he really is exceptional. I did play him one time before on the podcast, and that was on the first of two episodes in which I featured one of my very favorite singers of all time, the Finnish baritone Jorma Hyrninen. Hyrninen is not so remembered these days as a Wagner singer, but he sang a magnificent Corvenal in Tristan, as we're about to hear. He also sang Wolfram in Tannhäuser. He sang Amfortas in Parsifal, and there may have been some others as well, I'm not sure. Herninen did not sing a gargantuan number of performances at the Met, 27 in total, and yet that's substantially more than most of the other singers we're hearing today. He did sing two performances of Wolfram in Tannhäuser. Among his other roles there were the Count in Figaro, the title role of Eugene Onegin, and Rodrigo in Don Carlo, the role with which he made his debut. But we're going to hear just a brief excerpt from a 1976 recording of the third act of Tristan. It begins with Herninen as Corvenal telling Tristan that Isolde is on her way. Die beste Ärzten bald ich fand. I soon found the best physician. That physician, of course, being Isolde. And then we hear Nuotio's volcanic response to this news. Okko Kamu leads the Finnish Radio Symphony Orchestra.
just mentioned Hüninen and his performances of Wolfram in Tannhäuser. There was one baritone who I think sang this part with more beauty than almost any other, and that was the Viennese baritone Eberhard Wächter. He had a really substantial recording career in the early 60s. He's on the Giulini recording of Don Giovanni, He's on Giulini's recording of Nozze di Figaro. Those are probably his two most famous recordings. But he also recorded a lot of Lieder and other operatic roles as well. In fact, there's a live recording from Bayreuth, the one in which Grace Bunbury made her debut there as Venus. And the Wolfram on that recording is Eberhard Wächter. I have another earlier recording of Wächter as Wolfram that I'm going to play for you right now. That was a performance from Rome in November 1957 with Artur Rodzinski conducting. Wächter sang only three performances of Wolfram at the Met in the winter of 1961. Those comprised the entirety of his Met career. Oh. 
The very lowest voiced Wagnerians in the 1950s were led by the German bass Josef Greindl, who lived from 1912 to 1993. He also had an enormously successful European career, and yet he sang only nine performances at the Met, all of those in secondary roles during the 1952-53 season. He appeared five times as König Heinrich in Lohengrin and four times as Veit Pokner in Meistersinger. And that was it. I'm not going to play him singing Wagner today. I have something else. This is a 1954 recording of the French aria Si la rigueur from Alivise la Juive, but it's performed here in German translation as Wenn Ewger Hass, and you will hear Greindel in the cadenza at the end of the aria, touch on a low C. The voice may not have been the most beautiful bass voice, but it was an extremely characterful one, and by the way, he was also a supremely expressive leader singer which, as you all know, counts for a lot, a lot in my book. There was a beautiful lyric tenor born in Liverpool named Alberto Remedios. He lived from 1935 to 2016. He expanded his basically lyric sound to encompass some of the biggest Wagner roles, which he sang in English translation at Sadler's Wells, which shortly thereafter became known as English National Opera, ENO. Those performances remain legendary, both for Remedios' contribution and for those of other singers such as Norman Bailey and Rita Hunter, as well as for the conducting of Reginald Goodall. His Met career consisted of six performances as Bacchus, 
that notoriously challenging role in Ariadne of Naxos, as Bacchus Remedios appeared opposite Montserrat Caballé in her few Met appearances as Ariadne, as well as that stalwart house soprano Johanna Meyer, who was also an estimable artist. Another estimable artist who barely appeared at the Met is the Australian soprano Joan Carden. In fact, she never even sang on stage at the Met. She only performed on the Met tour. Eight performances of Donanna on the 1978 spring tour. But when one listens to this voice, at least for me, I'm completely blown away with the beauty, the power, the flexibility, the versatility of this artist. I'm going to feature these two singers, Alberto Remedios and Joan Carden, in a live performance of the Act One duet from Otello. This performance took place at Opera Australia a few years after their Met appearances. This is from January 1984. And because I have to cut things down so the episodes won't go too long, this is just a portion of the duet, but it's pretty spectacular. Thanks to my friend Brian of Opera Australia for confirming the provenance of this recording and for identifying the conductor, Carlo Felice Cillario.
A year ago, I did a three-part episode celebrating the lives and careers of singers who had died over the past year and a half. One of those was the American-born soprano Margherita Roberti, whose birth name was Margaret Jean Roberts. She was born in Iowa to a family that raised cattle, and she went on to become one of the most celebrated dramatic coloraturas in Italy in the 50s and 60s. She sometimes took on roles that were, I would say, maybe a size or two too big for her. Things like Abigail in Nabucco and Odabella in Attila. But she had the flexibility that is required of those roles. And so one can understand why she would be recruited to sing those parts. Her Met career consisted of three performances in the winter of 1962. Two of Tosca, the first of which she sang opposite Franco Corelli, who was returning to the Met after an absence, and one as Aida. I don't think these would have been the best roles to show her off. As I mentioned, she has a beautiful silvery timbre and great flexibility. I think she's shown to the very best advantage in this excerpt from the Maggio Musicale in Firenze from the summer of 1963. She's performing here the role of Amalia in Verdi's I Masnadieri, a role that was written for the Swedish nightingale Jenny Lind. Roberti has all the beautiful filigree coloratura required for this part. And when she appeared in the 50s and 60s in Italy, it was with the most distinguished co-stars. The conductor on this occasion is the great Gianandrea Gavazzini, and we are going to hear her in the aria Lo Sguardo a Vea degli Angeli from, as I said, I Masnadieri. Oh, <laughs> 
another Romanian singer that we will be hearing more from in the next season of Counter Melody is the fascinating soprano Marina Kilovic, who sang a total of only seven performances at the Met, three of Chocho San in 1973, three of Giorgetta in Tabarro, and one of Leonora in Trovatore, that on the 1977 Met tour. I recently got my hands on a recording from the International Voice Competition in Montreal of 1967. The winners, this is going to blow your mind, the winners on this occasion were Vladimir Atlantov, Yuri Mazurok, Gwendolyn Killebrew, and Marina Krilovich. She won the top prize for her performance of Pace Pace Mio Dio, and I'm going to play a portion of that very performance that took place in Montreal during Expo 67. She was, I think, 25 years old here, and she's got, at this point, an exquisite voice and a very comfortable way with the expansiveness of the style that never descends into tackiness or a term that I've sometimes heard used, gustiness. Oh, 
Now I have a pair of very interesting Italian sopranos. One of them is Maria Chiara, born in November 1939. She is still with us. She sang only four performances at the Met, all of Violetta, in December 1977. She is another one of those sopranos who had been signed by London Decca Records and they may very well have been responsible for her appearances at the Met. I can't say I don't know. She made a number of really beautiful recital albums for Decca, as well as a complete recording of the Volferrari Il Segreto di Susanna. She went on after this to sing heavier roles. I heard her in Chicago as Amelia in Ballo, opposite Pavarotti, I believe it was. She also did a lot of appearances with Pavarotti as Aida to his Radames. I think those parts were a little big for her essentially lyric voice, a voice which I think in its own way and in its prime was as beautiful as Mirella Frenis. Actually, we're going to hear her in one of my favorite arias. That's called Amor Celeste Brezza from the Catalani opera Lorelei. This aria is sung not by Lorelei, the title character, but by the fiancé of the hapless tenor. I believe her name is Anna. This recording is from 1977. I would say the only flaw that I hear in this performance is that Chiara didn't really have much of a trill, but I'm willing to overlook it for that diminuendo that she achieves on this high C that I just think is so exquisite. What a difference a name makes. Maria Chiara, of the clear, Chiara, luminous voice. This next singer we're going to hear is named Luisa Malagrida. Luisa 
of the horrible scream. That's what Malagrida means. And I have to say, she is a verismo queen on the evidence of this recording. By the way, there was another Italian soprano active during this time named Luisa Maragliano. These two are sometimes confused, but I'm speaking right now of Luisa Malagrida. Maragliano never actually sang at the Met, although she had also a very distinguished career elsewhere in the world. Luisa Malagrida sang only two performances at the Met. Those were as Leonora in Trovatore in the 1963-64 season. It's interesting because Leonora is a role that really requires bel canto refinement, and that is not what we are going to hear in this excerpt. This is a very dramatic moment from the opera La Figlia di Iorio, composed by Ildebrando Pizzetti. Luisa Malagrida appeared in a secondary role in this opera, which is based, by the way, on a play by Gabriele D'Annunzio. The premiere took place at the Teatro San Carlo in Napoli in December 1954. Once again, Gianandrea Gavazzeni is conducting this is a desperate prayer in which Malagrida's character makes repeated entreaties to the Virgin Mary to show mercy. One gets the feeling that these entreaties are completely in vain. Thank <laughs> you. 
I did an episode a few months ago called Puccini en Francais, in which we heard quite a number of superb French singers, very few of whom actually sang at the Met. One exception is the Falcon, I would call her, Jane Rhodes, as Americans would pronounce it, Jeanne Rhodes, as the French would say, who on that episode was heard as Tosca to the Scarpia of Met stalwart Gabriel Paquier, whom we also heard in his very own episode just a few short weeks ago. Jeanne Rode, however, had a much less distinguished career at the Met than did Baquier, appearing only once in her signature role of Carmen in the fall of 1960, followed by four performances of Zalome in the winter of 1962. Evidently, at the time of those appearances, she was not well, and so she missed a number of performances, and those that were reviewed really covered the gamut. One person said that she was the equivalent of Kalas, and the other one said she looked good, much better than she sounded. I'm going to play you something from a quite unusual opera that is Prokofiev's Fiery Angel. Jane Rhodes appeared in the role of Renata, the central character, when it was first produced at the Paris Opera in 1954. Three years later, she participated in the first recording of this opera. It's sung in French translation, and it is one of the randiest, raunchiest, most shocking operas It's really worth looking into. I heard a performance of it at the Met, must have been in the late 80s or early 90s, with a flash-in-the-pan Russian soprano named Galina Gorjakova, who was magnificent in the part, but who had, again, I think a fairly limited career at the Met. Anyway, this is just a moment of narrative in which Renata tells about this fiery angel that appears to her... I can't get into the plot, but it's worth looking up because it's quite a shocker.
Speaking of shockers, how about a little Lulu? Now, as you know, or maybe you don't know, Lulu was first performed at the Met, I think it was in 1978, if I'm not mistaken. It was supposed to star Teresa Stratos, and it was before the three-act version of the opera had received its premiere, also with Stratos under Pierre Boulez at the Opéra de Paris in 1979. As it turned out, Stratus withdrew from those performances and appeared as Lulu in the 1980-81 season when the three-act opera was finally produced there. But we're going way back in time, way before that, more than 30 years before that, when the torso of Lulu, uncompleted at the time of Berg's death, received its first studio recording. The German soprano Ilona Steingruber appeared as Lulu on that recording, and as Dr. Schön, we hear the bass baritone Otto Wiener, Wiener appropriately, because he was born in Vienna. He appeared only four times at the Met, and that was as Hans Sachs, his signature role in the fall of 1962. Here, however... He appears as Dr. Schön at the top of Act Two of the opera when he complains that this is what his life as an elder newspaper editor has become. He's married Lulu, and he feels that his life has really gone down the toilet, shall we say. We also briefly hear Steingruber as Lulu in this performance, conducted by Herbert Hefner, leading the Wiener Symphonica, the Vienna Symphony. Das Der 
sie Gräfin eigentlich? Ich weiß nicht, sehe ich mich mal an. Ich würde so gerne mit dir ausfahren. Du weißt, dass ich heute auf die Börse muss. Du bist schlecht gelobt. Seit Wochen und Monaten habe ich nichts mehr von dir. Ein frohes heute, meine alten Tage erreichen. Du hast mich ja gar nicht I wonder if anyone else agrees with me that Richard Strauss's towering masterpiece is Electra. I don't think there's a wasted note. It is a positively explosive, incendiary evening in the theater. This was a live performance that took place in London in the fall of 1947. Thomas Beecham had put together a Richard Strauss festival. Mind you, after the war, Strauss was very much persona non grata. I'm not even going to get into what his activities were during the war, but Beecham was doing his best to rehabilitate the reputation of this composer, and he presented live performances of Electra and of Ariadne of Naxos. As Electra, he cast the German soprano Erna Schlüter, who lived from 1904 to 1969. This performance took place in October 47. Earlier that year, Schlüter had made two appearances at the Met, one as Isolde and one as the Marschallin. I've read the reviews from these performances. They are some of the most viciously cruel reviews that I have ever read in my life. So suffice it to say that she did not make a positive impression and she was not asked back. But listen to this excerpt from Electra's opening monologue and tell me that you don't just get completely swept away in her performance on the basis of this performance alone. She is one of the greatest electras in recorded history, if not the very greatest. Thank <laughs> you. 
When the Met performed Electra in 1952, it featured Astrid Varnay in the title role, and as Chrysothemis, Electra's sister, the German soprano Walburga Wegner. Wegner lived from 1908 to 1993. She was born in Cologne, and much of her career was based in Cologne. She had appeared at Gleinborn as Leonora in Forza del Destino, and I think that that had something to do with her appearances at the Met in 1952. She sang four performances of Chrysotomus and three of Eva in Meistersinger. After those seven performances, she never returned. She did not make many commercial recordings. In fact, I'm aware of only one in which she was cast as the title role of Zalome. She never sang Zalome at the Met, but it's a very interesting, highly charged, not quite perfect performance. The voice isn't always under perfect control, but I'm going to play you just a portion of that very long final scene where she's just about to make out with the decapitated head of John the Baptist. Once again, here's the Wiener Symphonica, in this case led by Rudolf Mohalt. This recording was made for Philips in 1954.
There was another dramatic soprano, perhaps even more vocally gifted than Walburga Wegner. Her name was Christel Goltz, and she lived from 1912 to 2008. She was quite celebrated for her Salome. She was also highly prized for her Electra, as well as her dyer's wife, the Färberin in Frauneschatten. And in fact, in the first commercial recording of Frauneschatten, led by Karl Böhm, she sings the Färberin. She only appeared at the Met once. Well, she sang six performances there of Salome in the winter of 1954-55. This is the one time today that I'm actually going to play a live performance of a singer in their Met appearance. This was the radio broadcast of Christel Goltz with Ramon Vinay appearing as Herod and that powerhouse conductor Dimitri Mitropoulos leading the orchestra. You can hear that Goltz is really indulging in quite a bit of scenery chewing, but it's a vocally successful performance, I would say. Certainly one of her better sung Zalomes that I've heard. It's a sturdy voice, but it's a voice that can crest when it needs to, and she manages that here. It sounds like faint praise. It's not. And I think that she's inspired here by the conducting of Mitropoulos, who I think is one of the great, relatively uncelebrated masters of the podium. As certain responsibilities were taken away from him at the New York Philharmonic, where he was the music director, he instead began making more and more appearances with the Metropolitan Opera. And as you can hear, he just whips them into a frenzy. The performance took place in January 1955.
my dear friends. This has turned into another long episode. Thank you for sticking with me. I have some very special things planned for the month of August, so hope to see you next week. We started the episode with Josephine Vizi, and I think we're going to end with her as well. When Shirley Verrett appeared as Norma at the Met in the winter of 1979, she was having some pretty serious health and allergy issues, and those performances did not represent her at her best. Later that year, she went to Covent Garden, where she also performed the role, and her adalgisa on that occasion was Josephine Vizi, and I happen to have a dimly recorded but highly treasurable recording of that performance that took place in November 1979. I'm going to put forward another one of my controversial viewpoints, and that is that Shirley Verrett was the greatest norma to follow in the footsteps of Maria Callas. She had everything it took to do full justice to this role. Perhaps sometime in the future, I will share more of this performance with you. So to see you all off today, we're going to hear the final duet between Norma and Adalgisa, Si fino all'ore estreme, from that November 1979 performance. Featuring these two great V singers, Vizi and Verrett. Thank you.
dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.